You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, when you come into someone's home, mm-hmm. how do you know you're welcome there? How do you know you're welcome? Well, two things. The lights are on, and there's food, food. on the table. And the fragrance of the food yes. sometimes says, welcome. Come in, I'm ready for you. Well, believe it or not, that's how God says we're welcome in His house. We'll see it today on, on More, More Than, Than Ink. Ink. Well, good morning and welcome to our dining room table. I'm mm-hmm. Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And it's a beautiful morning and we are here today in Exodus 25 talking about the furnishings in the tabernacle. In Stuff the dwelt, inside. The, the, the place where God has said, now build me a tent and I will dwell with you there in, in your midst. And so last week we talked about the, the temple or the tabernacle itself and the and then the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy thing in the deepest, most holy place. Yeah, top of the list. Top right. of the list is the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And, it and means we a talked lot. a little bit about the incredible detail that was yeah. given regarding the building of these things. So today we have before us a couple of more furnishings. Now, these are not actually in the Holy of Holies with the Ark, right. but they are outside that veil, which we actually haven't gotten instruction we about the veil about yet. That, but, but it but is inside the tabernacle. But the next thing on right. the list that God can communicates to Moses is the table for the bread and the golden lampstand. And so these are very interesting pictures. Yeah. And I'll remind you again, if you didn't hear last time, um, there's there's great, every one of these things has great teaching Mm -hmm. opportunity to it. God is not arbitrary in how he designs what he's putting in here. They're meant to be so that when you see them, either in your mind's eyes, read them here or see them for real, they'll make you stop and say, I think I know something about the, the God who lives in this tent. And it's that's important because if we if God's using the picture of this is my tent where I dwell among you, well, you know, every place where you live, if you're going to live in a tent, you have to have a table to eat. Right. right. <laughs> and you have to have something to give you light in there because old-fashioned tents didn't necessarily have windows. Yeah. Uh, and what you keep in the tent are the most precious things that are required for your life. Yeah. So since this, the purpose of this, we saw in chapter 25, verse 8, is to, to make a sanctuary that I may dwell in your midst, mm-hmm. then these things are going to reflect the very nature and character of God in his intention to dwell in our midst. So they all have meaning that you can, well, at least I have been chewing on my entire life about mm-hmm. what this represents and what this is saying. And what does it say when I see something like this? So listen very carefully to the very specific design specifications for these things that are going to be inside God's tent, inside his portable house, and, and ask yourself, what is this telling me about God? And mm-hmm. what is this telling me about the opportunities I might have to be in God's presence and to draw near to him? What is this telling me? And last time I mentioned just slightly, quickly, in the, the ark for me, since the ark is holding, will, will hold, we don't know yet, but I'll tell you ahead of time, plot spoiler, uh, the Ten Commandments will be in there. 
Um, there'll be more, in fact, but but the things in there represent God's word to the nation of Israel, his commitment to the nation of Israel, and their testimonies, their witnesses they're, to those words. statements of truth of the yeah. most holy things yeah. that God wants his people to know and understand. Exactly. And so they're put in a box that, that looks extraordinarily holy, covered with gold, covered with symbols of two... Uh, cherubim who are kind of the guardians of heaven Uh, it's a very precious precious thing and it's it's wrapped together in this vision of it being like a throne of god himself so it it tells you a ton you can work on it all your life yeah now we didn't talk last week at all about the gold right and gold through the ages has always been recognized as as the most precious most Mm -hmm. beautiful metal uh and when we when we read about the ark we really didn't emphasize the fact that god said now cover the outside of it and cover the inside inside the part that no one will ever see again yeah yeah. is you know why would you waste the gold putting it in there well (laughs) god is saying it's precious down to its very core it's reflecting the holiness and preciousness of it all and gold's the, the right material in fact when you when you skip fast forward when we get the actual temple built for solomon the inside of that holy of holies that inner room that the ark will reside it itself every wall is covered with covered with gold so it's really it's a remarkably good picture if you walked into that you'd say i'm in a different place you can imagine the sense of the radiance right because gold gold plate or gold a leaf is very reflective in a a very glowing radiant sort of way yep yep well, we move away from the ark. That's one thing that'll be inside there. And then today we're going to cover two more things that are going to be inside the tabernacle. And uh, we'll just start into it. We're, go- we're in chapter 25. If you're following with us, we read from the ESV version so it doesn't trip you up too much. And uh, I'll start reading okay. first. Verse 23. We're going to look at this table that's meant for bread. So you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit uh, its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make it for make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. And close to the frame, the ring shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings, and you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Oh, the bread of the presence. Bread of the presence. That is a mysterious term. So he describes for us just the construction of this table. Mm -hmm. It's like three feet long. It's not very big. No, three feet long, about a foot and a half wide, about about waist high. It's a table. It's just a table (coughs) that's covered with gold. And yet what's what's most intriguing about this table is the very last sentence. Right. You're going to put bread on this. Bread in a tabernacle? Well, it's not just any old bread. This bread indicates the bread of the presence yes. of God, yes. right? So if you think about that in terms of the experience of the people up to this point, uh, what had they experienced about God and bread, right? God had been giving them manna mm-hmm. every single day from right. the day he began, which indicated his presence and ability to feed them. Right, the bread that comes down out of heaven. Yeah. Oh, didn't Jesus say that? Yeah. The bread that comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world is my yeah. flesh. So we talked a lot about this already in, in relation to the manna, but here we're actually taking bread 
And uh, you know, he'll talk more about this later. If you if you look in Leviticus, he'll talk about what's going to be on there. It's going to be a loaf for every tribe. Right. So, and we'll get that more detail unpacked. But that right. I, I would say this is an essential place to apply your study skills, yes. people who are listening. If you run across this bread of the presence, look in your cross references in your column in your Bible and find out where else that is talked about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and probably at the top of the list will be Leviticus twenty four, yes. where we again we have the bread, Leviticus the table 24. associated with the lampstand, because yeah. those are the two prominent yeah. pieces of furnishings in this part of the temple or yeah. the tabernacle uh, and and it will get a description there of yeah. how often they replaced it and what happened to it they replaced it every sabbath every sabbath so and it week, was given as food for the priests for the priests for aaron and his sons nobody yeah. else could eat it it was just designated for them yeah. However, there was a very famous historical account where <laughs> You're right. David, as he's running for his life, eats some, and that raised a whole ton of questions. And Jesus makes reference Jesus to that. Jesus references that, yeah. So this is not just a, some Jesus, obscure this is thing. A, this is a symbol, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but it is interesting. And again, you step back and you say, why would God want as a, as a principal part of the stuff that's inside his tabernacle, in mm. God's tent, why would he want to set a table with 12 loaves of bread? Why would you do that? What is that telling me? If you walked into this room and you looked around, you'll see something else in the same, but you looked around and you see this gold-covered wooden table about three feet long and it's covered with loaves of bread. You would say to yourself, "Is are we eating today? <laughs> or something, well, you know? <laughs> well, that's true. If you come into somebody's house and the table is and set the table with food, is set with we're food. ready to eat. Yeah, right. But 12 loaves. But 12 loaves, One yeah. for each of the 12 tribes. So what And does if that you mean? think about, well, think yeah. about the second incident where Jesus fed the crowds. He broke that bread into 12 pieces and yeah. they picked up 12 baskets full, right? One for mm-hmm, everybody. Mm-hmm. So, oh, the oh, longer you 12. camp on this, yeah picture the more it unfolds for you yeah and i like to i think the simplest interpretation is where i started but it's gotten deeper with me over the years to look at this and say god god has set a table Mm. for us to join him and remember we were talking about before the covenants were always capped off with a meal in a sense this is saying god's saying to us i'm glad you're here i set the table for you and who does it include every person every Mm -hmm. person that's the 12 number so it's it's really a fascinating thing to have inside here. I mean, it really is. And I just thought about it over the years. And Jesus is the bread of life and the manna from heaven. And I mean, it's it's a great picture. It's a great picture. Oh, it is so much. So take your concordance and look look up bread of chase the presence. Down. Right. And then, you know, chase down bread. Yeah. A- and yeah. look especially for the New Testament references to bread. And then narrow that down. Look for the words of Jesus regarding bread. And think of bread in an ancient sense. For us, it's the right. most boring part of a meal. Well, in these days, <laughs> bread is attached to all kinds of problems with our digestive systems. Yeah, that's and right. People are that's highly right. sensitized to gluten. But anciently, but anciently, anciently no. bread was the essential food that right. everyone had to have it was the necessary every day. food yeah. yeah so the necessary daily food so that's what we're talking about this being filled with that just like what had the role that manna had with them it was the necessary portion right that kept them alive for all generations so. isn't it interesting even when when the disciples asked jesus teach us to pray he said now pray this way lord give us yes. today our necessary daily bread our necessary daily food yep that's what it is i was interested too by this phrase this bread of the presence it's a very mm-hmm. strange translation it is and when you look in different english bibles they'll they'll 
phrase phrase this a little differently because it's a little ambiguous. It literally in Hebrew means the bread of faces, faces. Well, when you come into the presence of God, you're facing him. And that's why face to face with God. Face to face over the meal. It's a scary thing to be face to face with God because he is our judge and he's into uber justice and stuff like that. So there was always this idea about, you know, do you want to be in the face of God? Or that's actually behind the idea that no one can see him, face him and survive because you're in the presence of a holy God, you know, who, who treats sin without, you know, well, he treats sin horribly. So not horribly, that's the wrong well, word. Well, you know, okay, let's just leave that aside for a minute no, and let's just come I'm, back to the bread of the presence, but what I'm the saying face-to-faceness. Is the faceness and the presence go together. To come in the yes. presence of God, you're actually coming to face him. And so that's why this bread of face-to-face kind of makes sense when you think about it, whether it's either fellowship or just drawing near to God and being in his presence, being in his house, being in his being house. Being in his house and sitting at his table and yeah. eating bread with him. Right, right. So That's it, the I think that's the picture. I think that's the picture. It signals a lot of hospitality and a lot of a lot of delight on God's part to have you being at his table. I mean, that's what it's saying is you're coming into this very holy, austere place that speaks of the holiness of God. And he's saying, bread's on. The table is set for yeah, you. Yeah, I think yeah. it's just a wonderfully welcoming <laughs> kind of vision inside it. I mean, I, if I was writing the Bible, I wouldn't have invented this. But as I look at it, it warms this place so much with God saying, I'm glad you're here. It probably smelled good. It probably smelled good. Well, too. actually, we know that it smelled unique because you read in um, in Leviticus about how there was a, an incense mingled with yeah. the bread. Wasn't it frankincense? It's frankincense, it? yeah, which we think it. of as stinky. But right, it, right. but it, I don't know exactly how that worked. But later mm-hmm. on, we'll discover that the um, the formula for the incense that they used in the tabernacle was absolutely unique. You could not use that particular yeah. formulation in anywhere it was just else. For that. So that that there yeah. was this unique fragrance when yeah. you entered into the holy place. Yeah. It smelled like God. Yep. It always identified with being in God's yeah. house. Yeah. Well, so we move from this table <laughs> that's got loaves of bread on it to uh, a lampstand. Do you want to read that? Sure. 31? Picking up in verse 31. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stems, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and a flower. On one branch and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and their flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it and the whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold, and it shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. The pattern. It's important. It says something. It's specific. Okay, so why do you need a lampstand? Well, for one thing, we'll find out pretty soon (laughs) that the tabernacle is, is... there's tight. no there's, windows. There's no windows in it. It would be pitch dark inside. And in fact, it's covered with skins. I mean, there's not even any translucence in it. So the it. only source of light this is in it. there comes from this lampstand. This is it. This is the lampstand. And, and by, it was not small. 
It was very no. large. And in fact, we have a wonderful semi-contemporary picture of the actual thing because when Titus went in in 70 AD and wiped out Jerusalem, uh, he came back and the year after he died, they made a monument to him in Rome. Still there to this right. day. They the, looted it. The Arch of Titus is in Rome. And on the side of it, they've got, they've got a picture, an right. engraving of them walking this stuff out of the temple. And they're right. These guys are holding over their heads. Is this, this lampstand? So we know what it looks like. We know what it looks like, <laughs> and we know the size of it. It's roughly man-sized, a little bit less, so you could reach, you know, where to put the oil in and stuff. It was a, it was a big thing. It was a, it was not just a lamp on top of a table. It was a man-sized lamp. It's huge, and by the way, it had it had seven things on the top. If you see, if you have Jewish friends and they have a menorah around Hanukkah, that actually has nine things on the top. This one only has seven. So that's how you can check out which one stands for Israel in the temple, which one stands for Hanukkah, but because of that picture on the Titus Arch in Rome of that of that that lampstand that, that's been the looted, very one looted yeah. right out of the temple we can look at that and say well that's actually a symbol for Israel and so to this very day that picture is on almost all of Israel's currency is that lampstand from that Titus Arch in Rome and it and it's this it's this thing right here talk about historical connections <laughs> it's amazing so the question that rises in my mind, not only is why do you need the light, because just physically you couldn't see your way around in there without it, but what does it mean that the light is coming from seven lamps at the top of a of what looks like a golden almond tree? A tree. What does a that tree. all mean? Yeah. Huh. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. In fact, if I was going to do it, I would make it like a grapevine. I don't know if I'd make it an almond tree. And then where all the blossoms of the almonds are, that's where the light's coming out. Well, you know, the, it's interesting that Scripture, the whole story of Scripture begins in a garden, and there's great emphasis on the tree The trees in the garden, right. And we find the tree again in Revelation when everything is put right. So I don't, it's not a mistake yeah. that this lampstand is in the shape of a flowering tree. I suspect yes. there that there is a there is a veiled reference there to the tree of life. Yes. And the yes. light that comes from the tree of life given by the knowledge of God, knowing God as yeah. the source of light and life. And and that's important because again, if the very flawed Jim was writing this, I would have put twelve <laughs> up there. I put a, I would have like we have on our flag, you know, we have we have thirteen bars and we've got 50, uh, 50 stars, and it tells you about the different parts of the country. Here, I would have put one on for every tribe, but he put seven on instead of twelve which tells you very instantly seven is so associated with God and not the tribe that the light is coming from God. God it's himself. not coming from the tribes. It's coming from God himself in completion because there's seven of them. So, Well, and it's all, it's all a unified unit, right? We're told it's, it's beaten solid. from a single yeah. source. This must have required some considerable artistry yeah. to create yeah. this amazing furnishing yeah. this source of light and, and it was heavy i mean when you look at the arch of titus well uh, how much does a, a bunch talent of, of gold it. weigh because he said you use i a, looked it up use I'm a whole talent <laughs> it's 75 pounds oh my goodness <laughs> 75 pounds of pure gold which in today's money would be over two million dollars of gold that's a lot of gold did they walk away from egypt with that much gold they must have well, they weren't. Wasn't one guy wasn't carrying the whole well, no, seventy-five pounds? No, not the whole thing. <laughs> but you, they had if you asked. Divvy it up amongst two million people. Uh, two million people <laughs> had asked for gold and silver and jewelry and precious things. Yeah, you know. But can you believe that they they left Egypt with that much gold? Wow, mm. wow. I mean, it was the riches of Egypt. They did. They just so it you out. wonder why were they out there complaining? We've got nothing. Yeah, they actually were quite 
wealthy. They were quite wealthy, yeah. They got a great bootstrap start as a nation. But you can't eat gold. <laughs> and there's no place to buy food in the desert. So yeah, that's a problem all by itself. But he says to be make sure to you know, make it the last verse. The pattern for them has got to be specifically what God has shown Moses on the mountain. So this this lampstand, which we have so well described here, it takes up a lot of verses, is telling us something really powerful about not only the source of light inside the tabernacle, but the source of light in God's house coming from God himself. And it's complete and it comes from a holy device, uh, you know, this gold, which makes it a holy sort of thing. And I've always wondered about the almond tree thing, because I, mm -hmm. I always reflect back when I was in college, I was in Central California, and it was surrounded by uh, nut farms, almonds yeah, and almonds. walnuts. Yeah. And I remember in the very early part of the year, like February, March, when the almond trees blossomed, the, almond, the blossoms are like these five five lobed petals that are white with yeah, a little pink really in the center. Yeah, just they're a lot like uh they're a lot like apricot blossoms in a lot of ways. But they're white. So you would you would go out in parts of the Central Valley of California and you'd look out there and you'd see this sea of white flowers. It was just beautiful. It was stunning. It was stunning. And so there's this sort of this fruitfulness and this uh, bursting out of life that comes out of almonds. Uh, there's something about this picture of the almonds and the life from these flowers that's bringing this light. It's a it's a you know, put those together in your head and ask you, what does that mean? Okay, so the flower actually, got, and all of creation teaches you this, the flower is the promise of the fruit that's coming. That's right, right? what's coming. So yeah. the fact that this light is uh, the, the picture of the flowering life-giving tree yes. as yeah. the source of light is really a lovely one to camp on. But if we said that everything in this temple speaks of who God is and, mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. we come to God, and, and it all points to Jesus. Yeah. Well, John, in the beginning of his gospel, says, you know, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light right? of men. Jesus himself said, I am the yep. light of yep. the world. So in the symbology of this entry part of the tabernacle, too, that's so dark, in a sense, could you say that it represents the darkness of mankind, this outer entry where you're coming in and there really is no source of light except for the light that comes from God himself? Could it very well be that when God says, I'm going to dwell amongst you, he's saying, I'm dwelling in a place that's, that's profoundly dark. And if it weren't for me, there would be no light. There would be no understanding of the way things really are. Right. If it weren't for the light that I that I bring to this. And that's what light reveals, isn't it? It's the status of things as they really are. Yeah, yeah. Right, because if you're in the dark, you really don't know what you can't see. Right, and you know, I've said this many times in our modern culture, we miss that because we make our own light now. We right, and we have light everywhere. But not when I go camping. When I go camping, I understand how pro what a problem darkness is <laughs> out in the middle of the forest and stuff like that. And you're just very thankful for a flashlight. Well, God's saying that this world that we're in because of the fallen nature of mankind is a very dark place. And the place where you come in to meet with God, this outer portion of the of the tabernacle, is dominated by utter darkness if it weren't for the presence of God himself. And, to, and light draws your eye. Exactly. Right? If yeah. you are in the dark and you see a light glimmering in the distance, that's what you look at. That's what you look right? at. So we're told here in this passage, set it up so as to give light on the space in front of it. In yes. other words, it draws you to it right. in this dark room. You are drawn to the warmth of this light. And we know that candlelight is very warm. Yeah. When you want to set a mood, don't you light a candle? Right, exactly. And he could have made a, a candle, just a single stem candle. 
He could have. It would have lit the place. But in doing these seven lamps, he's saying, not only am I going to light the place, I'm going to light it completely, completely. God style. I mean, like light like you cannot believe. Seven, not just one, seven. Fully, completely. And it lights the place where actually they, the, they show pictures of putting the lampstand in there. And the speculation is that it was off to the side, the left or right, as you'd walk into the tabernacle and move toward the Holy of Holies where the ark was. This thing lit your entire path from the entry into the tabernacle up to the, the entry into the Holy of Holies in the center. So in a way, what he's saying is that this complete and full, over-the-top, blinding light of God from these seven candles is actually lighting the way from where you come in in a dark place and come into the presence of God. It'll show you the way. Your, your word is a light to my path. That's what he's saying right here. So, and it's interesting that in the list of tools that they make, he says, make it snuffers. Well, they couldn't carry it lit. Right. right but right, once right. you re, you set up the tabernacle again in your new camping place, yeah. that lamp was kept lit 24-7. We yeah. find out that that's one of the tasks of the priests to was to maintain going. the light. Right. Bring in the oil. To keep the light lit the yeah. whole time. Right. Bring in the oil. That's why oil is mentioned, um, you know, back at the beginning of chapter 25 oil for the lamps he right. doesn't explain what lamps he's talking about till we right. get to this you go oh you have a lot lamps. of oil if you're going to keep that thing burning all the time yeah exactly exactly so here's this here's this wonderful picture now if you walked into someone's house and the and the inside of the house was just just miserably black and dark you say nobody's home nobody's home but when you have something like this not only just the lights that shine in the in the darkness but these loaves of bread it's actually very hospitable but everything is gold it's hospitable and it's and it's holy this is a different kind of place and this is a different house than i've ever walked into anywhere else and that's what god wanted to tell you is i want you to be here but if it weren't for my light you would stumble around in here and the light is always on for you yeah right? always on the lamp you. is on and this begs another question, you Bible studiers, is how does light figure in as a metaphor throughout the whole rest of the Bible? <laughs> what does light mean? What does light mean? And why is it that this particular candelabra of sorts is saying something about light? Um, I mean, in a simple version, is that light shows us the way things really are. Well, in the very beginning, what did God say? Let there be. Let there be light. Light. So noodle on that as you're standing in this tabernacle and looking at this lampstand and smelling those loaves of bread and approaching near to where the, the ark is. So we're glad you're with us. We're going to come back and keep talking about the tabernacle. We can just stay here a little bit longer. No. <laughs> so I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we want you to come back because it's really exciting kind of stuff as we walk into the house of God. So we'll see you next time. I'm more than ink. Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. In the tavern. The furnishings. <laughs> the furnishings. The stuff inside rather than the tent itself. So uh, there you go. Mm-hmm.